Broadcasting live from the Great Northern Hotel in beautiful Twin Peaks, Washington, I'm Matt. I'm Caroline, and this is an episode-by-episode breakdown and discussion of all three seasons of Twin Peaks. If you need a videocassette mailing service in and around the Twin Peaks area, or a taxidermist who won't shrink your fish, this might be a podcast for you. Today we're going to be talking about Episode 7, Realization Time, which is the stupidest title, and I hate it, so that's bullet point one. Why did they call this episode this? Roll bumper Why? music. Uh, I like the title. I think it is an episode of Realizations, and it took time, about 41 minutes of time. Uh, but I just think of the Kim Kardashian meme. I didn't know there was a Kim Kardashian meme. The Where she's been dropping hints that she's realizing things. I mean, that would fit. That scans, but I, I don't know this meme, no. Uh, no, I, well, I will argue, okay. Not a great title, but it is, I think, a fitting title, right? This is an episode where, again, threads come together. We're building towards the final episode of the season, the next one. And at least for me, rewatching it while I was taking notes, there's a lot of things I missed the first watch because I was caught up in just, like, how much I enjoyed the writing and directing on this episode, but there's a lot of stuff in this. There's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, people crisscrossing, double-crossing, triple-crossing left and right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that realizations don't happen. I just think there could have been, you know, a more original title. You know what would have been a good title? I thought this as I was watching was um, not necessarily for this episode, but just as like, a good title of things in general is, um, that scene when they're at One-Eyed Jacks and, uh, Coop says the, the usual games of chance. That's mm. a good title for something. Uh, my title that I liked, the, the line that I remembered was, uh, he says, secrets are dangerous things to Audrey. Yeah, yeah, that also would have been a better title. Yeah, well, it's true, but, uh, so getting into that, uh, this is episode six, the seventh episode, since uh, we're, we're still unclear on that, apparently, either behind the scenes or in the introduction, depending on how I edit this. Uh, but it's directed by Caleb Deschanel. I believe this is his first episode of three that he does, and it's written by Harley Payton, who wrote episode three, the fourth episode, uh, which I remember really liking. Uh, that was the funeral one. And talked a lot about how that was a sort of interesting drawing together threads. And I think this is kind of too. It opens after standard credits with a vivid half moon shot. Um, and then a really, really cool dark, misty, um, like bathed in blue night shot of the Great Northern. And Coop and Audrey are... Do you think Caleb Deschanel has any relation to Zoe? I don't know. Maybe, but I probably not. Clatter, 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 she types. Um, well, so while you're finding out that... It's literally her father. Nice, okay, well... Damn, I stand very much corrected on that. Fine. Uh, cool. Didn't do that much research, just read the production notes on Wikipedia, so whatever. Uh, Cooper and Audrey are well she's in bed still covered by sheets and he's telling her basically why um 
his service to the bureau precludes him getting involved with her. And to me, this was strange because I don't think it's just the service to the bureau, which he sort of highlights as the specific and only thing. I mean, he also does... Yeah, I mean, I guess he does mention that she's a high schooler, but that is immediately followed up with the fact that he's an FBI agent. Yeah, and that she's everything a man could want in a woman. Smart, intelligent, beautiful. Yeah, so interesting, but okay, I I don't want to talk I about... Actually... Oh, go on. Oh, go ahead. Oh. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I actually, I actually do kind of like this scene. Like, it is weird, but I do really like coop here because this feels this feels more in character than any of the like we've talked before about how the the scenes where there's like flirting and sexual tension is like very i don't know it's like kind of weird in the contrast to the rest of coop's character um but this like feels very in character for him i guess well so what i was going to say is that i don't want to talk about it too much but thinking about the return and trying to make sense is sort of the characters in that because it's very much like a weird plot or lack thereof uh kind of show uh, i actually have some theories about coop and uh sort of doppelgangers and nothing super concrete but just uh how the theme is playing but i'm gonna save it uh but yeah i actually agree i don't think it's uh i think it's weird but it's supposed to be yeah more to coop than meets the eye yeah and i think like i don't know i like the sort of straight his sort of straightforwardness here where he you know he's not pretending like he's not attracted to audrey you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like he's not like oh no you're a dumb teenage girl who misread the situation he's kind of like he's acknowledging you know the situation and being like but but also handling it very responsibly and you know and also not just not just in terms of her you know, being a high schooler, but I think he also kind of recognizes her, like, you know, we talked about this at the end of the last episode, a million years ago, um, her, like, very vulnerable emotional state, and that she's kind of, like, just now processing all of these emotions surrounding, you know, everything that she's dealt with in the past, you know, however long it's been, um, with not only like Laura's death but her family and that whole situation and so I don't know I like I like that about this scene that he you know says like not again you need a friend yeah you need a friend like yeah so I I appreciate that about yeah he says they'll get some malts and she can tell him her troubles and she says that she can't tell him all her secrets and he like I said says that secrets are dangerous things he doesn't have any and that it's his uh, job to find them out. So, I really yeah, like that. find out Laura's. Yeah. Because she said Laura had lots of secrets. Okay. Um, yeah. Andy arrives the next morning at the police station. It is the next morning, right? I assume. Or is it still the same night? I think it's the next morning. Okay. I think it's... I don't know. Yeah, it must be. Too much goes on. Uh, yeah, because there's the whole day. Okay. I'm a moron. Uh, Andy arrives at the police station the next morning. Uh, it's an icy reception from Lucy, and she shoots him away when she gets a call. It's from a doctor, and she doesn't seem great. It's sort of an it's an obvious like Cooper walks in. He's tooting a whistle that he carved, like it's the whistle, 
and he yeah. remarks that she was out sick the previous day. Uh, she's pregnant, right? <laughs> yep, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Ooh. Uh, Spoilers, I guess. Yeah. So it turns out Doc Hayward is like the only. I have here every, only slash every specialist, uh, in the Twin Peaks, police department because he's doing a bunch of bird. Uh, research exposition with Truman as Cooper walks in about the minor bird Waldo. Yeah, I guess like I've been thinking about this. I guess if he is like if he is the I don't know medical examiner, right? Like he, I'm trying to figure out Doc Hayward. <laughs> it seems like it's one of the running themes in this podcast. Yes. So who is I this guess, man? Right, so, like, the part where he says that he delivered Laura, like, in the first episode or whatever, first or second, like, that's weird. But, like, other than that, if he is, like, when he says that he couldn't do her autopsy because, like, you know, because it was basically, like, too close to the situation, um, like, that suggests that he is the medical examiner and in that context kind of everything else about him makes sense like he would be employed by the not necessarily by the police department but like by the county in the same way that the police department would be so like it kind of makes sense for him to be there but the problem is that for any of this to make sense he apparently must have had a mid-career shift from OBGYN to medical examiner well maybe he's just like kind of a local genius like he never really made ways but like he got some like you know really prestigious like scholarships and awards in his younger years and he just settled down in a nice town he just fucking does a lot i don't know you know yeah and like again if if twin peaks was a small like a smaller town and he was the only doctor fine like but no, it has a hospital. There has to be more than one doctor. It does make it very weird when he turns into that giant, um, like, lizard butterfly in season three um, and eats his wife. And you're just sort of like, wow, that was an unexpected turn for the character. Nothing hinted about that at all. We were talking about whether or not he was a medical examiner in OBGYN. And it turns out he was a Lovecraftian god the whole time. But I guess that's spoilers for season three. No, I, sh- I shouldn't lie. Should I? I guess maybe I shouldn't lie. That's bad. That doesn't happen. Don't spread this blasphemy right. about Doc Hayward. That's true. Uh, Cooper remarks that he doesn't like birds when Hayward uh, asks if he wants to feed it. So I guess hinting at the owl rivalry. Uh, but basically they want Waldo's ability to mimic people to serve as a kind of proxy witness. Um and at the same time, a forensics report comes in that confirms that Jacques had Leo, Ronette, and Laura all at the cabin that night. How do they figure this out? Like DNA testing, man. It's the 90s, right? I don't know. Oh, oh. No, don't Google it. Don't Google it. No, because most listeners also aren't going to Google it. They'll take our word for it, and they'll just be like, yeah. And if it's wrong, you know, 10%. No one's going to write in. We're, we don't get enough you know, ex- exposure, so. We're good. They had, they had DNA testing in the 90s. You don't think our one listener is going to write in and complain if we get that fact wrong? I mean, I'd be thrilled if they did. That'd be great. Please please do correct us. Uh, they leave... Uh, oh, and there's also, in the forensics report, there's a, a picture of... Like, I guess there was one 
exposed negative they got is a picture of Waldo against kind of a human body, and Cooper manages to spot that it's, it is, in fact, Laura. Um, or yeah, pretty, pretty blonde obvious. Hair, yeah. So. Um, there's also the, the poker chip from One Eye Jacks. So they leave Coop's uh, recorder, dictaphone thing, for Waldo, and with the poker chip as their lead, they decide to go to One Eye Jacks, uh, gambling night. Bobby arrives at Shelley's place, and it's a cool scene because it's done in a voyeuristic style. First of someone watching from the trees, then someone uh, with binoculars, with the shot sort of framed through binoculars, and it's a bloody Leo Johnson watching him go in. And then he points up his rifle, and we get a view down the scope also of the door and him guarding that. So sort of three different voyeuristic views in one little shot it was that was cool shelly is uh super upset obviously but it's a strange scene i guess because she basically just reiterates to bobby kind of in hysterics that like yeah she had to shoot leo and she just basically says what happens but then when it comes to what happened afterwards she doesn't tell bobby and we're not really told because yeah leo's just outside bloody in the trees with a rifle yeah, I guess I I sort of assumed that like the implication was that he just like ran off. Yeah, I guess so. After she shot him, but I don't know. I I really I like this scene, but it also frustrates me because again, Bobby's just doing his like, you know, I'm gonna take care of it. Just which is like he just says it very vaguely. He yeah. has no actual, um, you know, plan. Plan. Mode of action. At no yeah. point does he like suggest that they go to the police like well yeah he says he's gonna take care of her and take care of leo but it's very much just gangster or like gangster i guess like mafioso speak like he's just he's trying to be a tough guy he's echoing that yeah but like it's not actually like he can't actually do anything like bobby could just go to the police right like i understand why shelly doesn't um i mean if bobby were real man he'd just strap a gat and go find leo and take him out but you know what? No, I'm but not gonna. I'm not gonna endorse vigilante like, justice. Never mind. He uh, could also just like go to the police and could, like tell them could. what happened. Well, but. Leo watching them, or watching the door with the rifle, hears Lucy talking about uh, the bird witness on the police scanner and drives mm-hmm. off. And I hadn't, I hadn't noticed that before, for whatever reason. Yeah. I missed that. So him showing up well, later on makes sense. It's cued here. So that's cool. I like that Leo is tuned in to what's going on. That sort of explains why he's able to uh, operate as well as he does. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure who Lucy is, like, talking to here. That's my only question. Like, who is she talking to over the police scanner? Um, Albert. She Albert called... To... No, she wouldn't Al... be talking to Albert over a police scanner, though. Sure. Well, maybe... Yeah, well, all right. I thought, I thought I was being clever. Albert called down to check in on if they got the forensic support. They had already taken off, so she picked up the phone and was feeling Okay, well, I tried. I don't know. You're right. She's just a gossip. I kind of like that, though. It's like she just, you know, shouldn't be yeah, on the Yeah, but, like, scanner. who is she talking to over a, like, over a radio that the police scanner – because the police scanner doesn't pick up, like, phone calls. Yeah, I don't know. A deputy? She has to, like, route it through, but she's just lazy since they don't have cell phones. She's talking to just the one other person that we don't see. 
Sorry, I'm just, I, that, that was the only, like, I like that scene, but that was the one thing that I kept thinking about was, like, what transmission is he intercepting? I guess, like, maybe she's talking to, like, maybe Hawk is in the patrol car or something, and she's talking to Hawk. Because it would have to be somebody, right, like, over a radio, like, in the patrol car or something. So. Yeah, okay. but, you know, I mean, Hawk also turns into a giant snake lizard butterfly, so. Mm. Stop it. Still doesn't happen. All right. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> this, is, this is nonsense. So Donna, Maddie, and James uh, listened to Laura's tapes that she left for Jacoby that they had found. And this is a really, really cool scene directionalized as well because they just pan across a house. I guess it's the Palmer house. Yeah, I think so. And. Uh, or is it the Haywards? Maybe the Haywards. It's one of the two. Probably the Haywards. Um, I think it's the Haywards. And they pan across Maddie and Donna and then eventually James listening to silently to the tapes. And it's very slow. It's very deliberate. And Laura's sort of sing-songy, sexy voice that she's putting on for Jacoby kind of builds and gets more and more lustful, lewd. And eventually James has to turn it off. Um, I just really like this scene. It's slow, deliberate. Smart direction. Caleb Deschanel does a good job. And with Harley Payne, who did episode three, they fill in, I think, really well for Lynch yeah, and no, Frost I really, in this case. I really like this scene. Um, I think I think it's you know, really well acted in terms of like James and Donna and Maddie's reactions. So. Yeah, it's appropriately melodramatic, but like in a dark, brooding, quiet way that's sensible and not dumb. But the tape from the night that Laura died is empty. And so they reason pretty well, I guess, that Jacoby still has it. And they decide they're going to steal it back from him. Uh, they're going to kind of trick him, try and trick him, uh, using the previous tapes that Laura sent him. Yeah. Except they don't. Except they don't. They yeah, don't. that was the thing. Like, I like, because I really like that, too. I think it's a good, like, it's a good use of that kind of dramatic, um, I don't know. It's a it's a good like dramatic way to end a scene when James says maybe you know maybe he gets a phone call from Laura and then re- rewinds the tape and plays it, but then that's not what they end up doing because it very much sets it up like they're going to like use the tape to. I guess they do use tape, phone call. but not that kind. Yeah. Whatever. No, it's still they cool. Have Maddie impersonate Laura's voice. It was almost smart, and then I guess we get to Horn's department store. Uh, Audrey is working the perfume counter and giving customers sass. She tells a lady that if she doesn't like the fragrance, she can hang it around her neck, and then it's a dual accessory and fragrance. Yeah. Uh, she's wonderful. She's so good in this episode. Uh, yeah. Because she's doing a lot of snooping. She's doing snooping right now because she overhears Emery Battis uh, call one of the girls into his office. So she decides to tell a guy nearby the office that a bus has crashed. He goes yeah, to so look she's and she's like back at the back in like the storeroom. Yeah. Um, which I assume is like next to where Right by the, the office door. Yeah. yeah. And she ducks yeah. into a closet. Yeah. I love I love her in this scene though. She's like so she switches so quickly from um, you know, sassy Audrey, like, you know, talking back to the customers to uh, you know, her kind of like she goes back to talk to that guy and she's like playing innocent and concerned and saying like it seems like there's a real bad accident outside and um and then she walks into the office and she's like she's so badass here like she's so nonchalant about it she's like 
goes over, takes one of his cigarettes, like, starts smoking, just kind of wanders into the closet, like, you know, you would think she would just, like, run in and duck into the closet, but, like, she doesn't, she doesn't care. She's, like, very, yeah, very nonchalant. Well, right, because, like, she, I think she knows that, like, even if she got caught, she has power over Emery Battis. Yeah. And even if, even if that's the kind of thing that her father would freak out about, she's smart and conniving enough that she's going to be able to email or email blackmail. <laughs> She'll email Battis. <laughs> She'll blackmail Battis and it'll never even get to her father. Like She'll be able to talk herself out of it. So yeah, she's cool, yeah. calm, collected. And Battis gives the girl a unicorn figurine yeah. and it's a reward for doing well. And Audrey essentially surmises that he's running girls. She knows this, but she confirms uh, with a notebook that he has rating the girls that he's running them to one-eyed checks. And one of the girls is, I think, Ronette is on the list. Yeah. So. And so, yeah, she overhears um, the conversation where Bata says something to the other girl, Jenny, I think is her name, um, about, you know, like, oh, did you have a good time at the club last weekend? And then sort of talks through, like, it's a lucrative job opportunity. And then, yeah. She goes out after they leave and sees, like, starts looking through his notebook, and Ronette's name is on there. And then as she leaves, she takes the little unicorn figurine that the other girl left on the table. Yeah, so. and so he's got he's got each of the girls' names written in, like, a different colored gel pen, and then with an amount of hearts next to each of it in one of those, like, tiny little notebooks. And i got to admit... For something so sleazy, it's like very cutely and well organized. I was struck that this man was like had a freaking Yelp rating system for the prostitutes he was running in like fun pixie colors. But people surprise you, I guess. Hey, I mean, you—if you're gonna undertake that kind of criminal operation, you've gotta, you know, have things organized and color coded. That's true, and and. You know, you want to bring some levity to your life. Why not get exactly. those gel pens? You're doing a lot of yeah. bad shit on the side. Might as well reward yourself. Well, not reward yeah, yourself. Get the, but get the yeah, color coding practical and fun. Yeah. I've been saying this for years. Lighten up your life with mm-hmm. Big Ed's gel pens. He did gas. Now he's doing gel pens. Yeah. Also a lie. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I, I color code all my criminal operations. <laughs> Hank and Shelly are at the diner, and this is already confusing because she's just back at work. Like she's good now. Yeah. You'd think. Well, I guess you'd think she'd take the day off. You'd think Norma would be cool with well, that. Well, but I mean, I don't think she wants to be. I think she wants to be in a public place, right? Because she thinks Leo's gonna kill her. True. Okay. <laughs> well, then I, you know, okay, I will. I'm gonna knock him a little bit. I wish they had communicated that idea and shown that she's still scared and freaked out. Uh, that would have been interesting that she's like, just, this is the best place to be. Uh, yeah. was I don't know. That was very obvious to me. Okay. I guess maybe I, as a man, I just, that's, it just felt like such an, like, it, I don't know. I'm not sure the, direct, the writer had that in mind, but you know what? Hey, death of the author. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it, I don't know. To me, it, yeah, it made a lot of sense right. that she would want to want to be in a public place and also would want to be, like, going about her life as normal and not make Leo think that 
she was going to go to the police or anything. Fair enough. I guess that's my, my male privilege. But I guess, yeah, in that case, I'd sort of be, I'd just go to the police. But, uh, <laughs> doesn't make sense why Bobby hasn't or something. But yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah no, the onus is entirely on Bobby here. But this scene is for Hank to... Fucking anything. <laughs> Hank basically tricks Shelly into giving him Big Ed's name. He says, uh, oh yeah, that guy helped out uh, Pete, or uh, what was it? And she says, Big Ed, and he's, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he plays her. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I'm coming around to Hank. Yeah, I, I sent you the same thing while we were watching. I, I think yeah. he's, I, I didn't want to say this before because you seem to really dislike him, but I have been liking him more, more since I started rewatching. I think like the problem that I have, again, the problem that I have with Hank is when he's first introduced, he's like so obviously terrible and awful and sleazy, and there are so many other terrible, awful, sleazy characters that like I'm just not interested in another one, right? Like. I mean, I mentioned this in his, like, first, the first episode he showed up in. But I think what's interesting about him here is the way that he's able to play very innocent and, like, warm-hearted and, mm-hmm. and kind and, like, repentant for whatever he's done. And um, Well, like, literally when he talks in this scene, I was surprised by, the, like, the tone of his voice. I heard it and I was like, that's not Hank talking. But it was because yeah. it was like super yeah. lighthearted, and I actually yeah, like, double take the screen even though I was watching it. <laughs> yeah, like that's no, that's the thing is like I think in the first couple of like in the first episode he's in, they're trying so hard to signal that he's a terrible person, and I think it would have been more interesting if they hadn't done that, um, and if they like made it as unclear to us as it is to the other characters. Yeah, like, well, especially because actual... his crime just seems to be accidental manslaughter. Yeah. Well, and then I think that would make the contrast more interesting. Like when he goes and beats up Leo, like it just, it, he's very cold and calculating and right. Like Leo is a very angry, you know, kind of gets like gets into a rage and, you know, but Hank is very controlled. And so I think that like, that's interesting, but because Hank is so like creepy in those first couple of scenes, that contrast isn't as isn't as clear there, I guess. Yeah. So, um, but no, I'm coming around to him in this in this scene. Oh, he he pockets uh, the guy's lighter, right as mm-hmm. Truman and Cooper just stop in, apparently to just harass him about his parole, which at this point my like my gut reaction, despite how I know these characters are positioned in the narrative, was like. God, fucking pigs. Like, yeah, no, leave him alone. No, well, that's, Jesus. So that's like the other thing that I <laughs> You think. guys don't know he's terrible. Um, well, and like that's the other thing that I think would have been more do, interesting. Maybe they do, I guess. But... That's why I think it would have been more interesting if they made Hank's character a little bit more ambiguous to the viewers, I guess. Because, yeah, I have that same reaction, too. I'm sympathetic to Hank in this, like, in this scene. And so, like, I think if they'd leaned into that more, he would have been a more compelling character. When I was watching, I was watching this with a friend, and when Walda the minor bird was on the screen, all we could think about was just if if he just started going, ah, fuck pigs, kill cops, fuck pigs, kill cops. Should we just have Alan on the podcast? We should at some point. I'm so yeah. My housemate is watching some of these with me, and I've sort of started to catch him up from episode one, but he's been watching from episode four onward, and then episode one onward at the same time with our schedule and then his own so he's got an interesting kind of time 
lapse of t- Twin Peaks going on. Eventually, yeah, I think we'll have a guest star. He's all right on the mic. He can spit. Uh, and then I guess, okay, so they harass him about his parole. Hank seems like... I total... like that I make a sarcastic suggestion. You're like, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I got to signal sarcasm. Hit the Morse code beeper in my headphones or something. We've got those. Coop, uh, I guess they stop harassing Hank, and Coop gives his philosophy of giving yourself a small present every day, whether it be a new men's shirt or a small catnap in your office. And he says, today... boyfriend who's the local sheriff in Twin Peaks. (laughs) I'm sorry, I can't not read all of these scenes as Coop flirting with Truman. It just comes across so much that way to me. I don't know why. Really? That is not... I just... He just seems like it's... a like a health nut or something, but <laughs> but like a like about being nice to yourself. Yeah, like a like an FBI blue rose nut. Uh, anyway, he says the gift for today is coffee because nothing beats coffee. Uh, yeah, which I can't dispute. I like that. I like that coffee is still like, even though he drinks coffee all the time, it's still like it's a it's a present to himself every time. That is it's a nice. It's a nice philosophy to have about your coffee. I was going to say, already a philosophy you hold. Uh, Audrey tricks the girl that Emery was vetting uh, into giving her like the number for One-Eyed Jacks by showing her the same unicorn and saying it was one that she got. Yeah, and then sort of talking about like the things that she overheard in the office as if mm-hmm. it's things that Emery told her. Um, it's, a, it's a very like smooth... She does this very well. It's yeah. like a very good way to con her way into getting that number. The only thing that the official the from... official term is bamf, I believe. Badass motherfucker. Have we been putting explicit tags on our podcast? I have. Oh. As I'm the one that uploads it. Nice. <laughs> I mean, they are explicit. What hap- yeah, What happens that's... if we don't? I have no idea. I mean, probably nobody will complain, but I think, like, if we had an actual viewership or listenership, we'd probably get, like, an email from iTunes being like, uh, hey. <laughs> yeah, or the FBI. Um, but, yeah, I mean, BAMF, BAMF is a good uh, acronym for Audrey. Yeah. Also, um, also HBIC. But... Not to get too deep into it, but the unicorn, a, traditionally a white-horned horse, which is featured in... Uh, uh, Blade Runner, which Blade sort of, Runner, yeah. yeah, Blade Runner. Uh, not that is not an obscure fact at all, but uh, no. <laughs> but that is also sort of about doppelgangers and the inclusion of some of the weird white horse visions in this. Oh, uh, yeah, a show true. also about doppelgangers uh, makes you wonder. Makes you wonder. But I guess it's a symbol of purity as well. So there's sort of a sick, twisted irony to giving yeah. them to the girls. Uh, yeah, the only question that... How self-aware are these people? Me. I mean, because that's just fucked up. <laughs> like, yeah. that's, like, that's a... That's intentionally a, like, weird yes. black humor kind of yeah. thing to do. So Why? the only, like... Who's question... spending the money on this? Is this I really, mean, like, an operating cost they're okay with? How much do you think those little glass unicorns cost? Who's ordering these? This is just paper trail that doesn't need to be there. I mean, they probably, like... Maybe they're from Horn's department store. Yeah, they, they probably, probably like, sell them yeah. in the store. Like, and even if they don't sell them in the store, they could order them and say that they're selling them in the store. Ugh. 
God, this is... I mean, is... a department store is actually a pretty good front for this, because, like, if Ben Horn was just buying a bunch of, like, fancy, like, women's evening gowns, that would be suspicious, but he owns a department store. You're right. Of course he's ordering this is, a lot of... This is how the 1% get away with it, man. Unicorn. So, no, the only question that came, comes up for me in this scene where Audrey tricks this girl is, like, does this girl not know, like, who Audrey is? Like, that Audrey's father owns the department store like even if she doesn't know i because i assume she doesn't know that ben horn is, has anything to do with this right she probably just thinks it's emery battis but like why would it not seem a little suspicious that like audrey horn that like the that like emery battis would recruit audrey horn the boss's daughter to go be a prostitute in canada and also like it's sort of positioned as like or presented as like you know to to jenny like this is Emery says this is a very lucrative opportunity. Like, why does Audrey need a very lucrative opportunity? I think I think if the daughter of the owner of the store that your boss is running you as a prostitute through implies that she's involved in it, and you don't think that the owner necessarily knows about this, and you're about to get a promotion, maybe, I think you just are a deer in the headlights, and you go, uh, yeah, yeah, sure, like, whatever. I, yeah, I don't know, I think. Oh, that, like, Audrey is involved, but... Yeah, it just, I, I mean, Yeah, maybe... I, think, I think if Audrey said she... Audrey seemed to know enough. Again, I think if you're in that position, you're, you're not going to, like... So what are you going to say? Uh, are you going to start, like, questioning her? Like, oh, well, what do you know about... No, you're going to be, like... And then if you say, yeah. I'm not comfortable with this, and then Audrey could say, like, well, maybe I tell my dad. Again, I think, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe no, she I mean, is I guess... acutely aware of who Audrey is and just doesn't want trouble. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I guess that's also very much an option. It just seems strange that, like, yeah, that it wouldn't raise some kind of red flag. But I guess I guess you're right. And I guess, too, maybe she, like, maybe Audrey is, like, keeping a, an intentionally, like, low profile, like, pretending. The other thing is perhaps the writers thought of this and thought, eh, too much work. <laughs> <laughs> but join us now for Invitation to listen this is our podcast oh i can't say that's i feel like that's registered trademark our show within podcast. a show yeah podcast within a podcast yeah that's yeah. registered trademark we're we showing been, our hand you've a little been bit. saying it for weeks anyway oh no i thought i'd said show within a show oh maybe you did i've been trying to well uh i'm gonna say I this mean, is this is if our we get, if we get enough of a profile for the mcelroy's to sue us then i will be freaking shocked yeah in fact you know what any publicity is good publicity, so I'm putting it right out there right now. McElroy's bring it on. We're I taking you, we're s- taking you to court. No. Yeah, we're taking no. them to court. We're, we're taking not it. though. Podcasting the podcast not. is ours now. No. Okay. Um, I will say soap within the soap. Uh, Nadine watches and cheers on Chet, the uh, kind of greasy round dough man. Uh, there you go. I'm just taking more and more of that bit. Uh, I was gonna say, uh-huh. I guess if the, I guess if Griffin McElroy's not come after you for stealing literally all of his verbal mannerisms, then probably. I, well, I try not to do. I try podcast. not to do it on the podcast, I, and I've been dying back in my personal life. I don't want to give these guys any more free airtime. All right, they have enough fucking following as it is. Chet shoots Montana. He warns him, and Montana doesn't back down. It's uh pretty much an exact one-to-one of the Shelly Leo thing, but whatever. Um, Nadine oh, yeah. is 
I was thinking too that I think like there's something kind of compelling about Nadine cheering on this like small mousy man as he shoots this like tough biker jock guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Even though so. I'll bet you Big Ed looked a lot more like the tough biker jock guy in his younger days. Yeah, but I'm saying I'm I saying know, Nadine is the small mousy man and uh, Norma is the tough biker guy. Oh, okay. Ooh, ooh, multiple <laughs> levels to this. Uh, Nadine is eating bonbons, she says, uh, because she's very torn up about the patent office or the patent lawyer rejecting her drape runner design, which we saw in the previous episode. Uh, I love that it follows this up. I think it's so cool. It's very much background, and it's written to feel like just interesting, contiguous background, and that's super brilliant. Um, I really like this bit. Uh, Ed comforts her about it, but she sort of goes on about how this was going to be something to get them out of here and this was going to be you know a big thing for them and yeah you know i i was re-watching episode two with uh alan the buddy housemate and the scene that we had i had skipped over i think we both did with nadine and ed and then nadine and norma i feel bad now because in retrospect there's something uh really heartbreaking about how this all goes on and how it is all just relegated to kind of a depressing sad side story of just like yeah a woman who sort of can't come to terms with real life but seems to be aware of them whatever i like this a little bit yeah it's just cool that it's actually built to something i don't know it all yeah no and i think i think nadine is a yeah again like i don't you know like i don't really like her i don't think you're really supposed to but she's a She's a sad character. Like, you feel for her. She's Sympathetic in the sort of definitional version. Yeah, I'm just glad it actually built to something. It's nice that she has this before. Again, I will... Season 2 plotline. I'll just... I'll talk about this later. Anyway. But yeah, uh, Pete complains to Truman that the fish he caught looks smaller after the taxidermy, (laughs) and he fits in a size-isn't-everything joke, I guess. Uh... Sigh. Sigh. Audible sigh. Uh, But Truman is there to interrogate Josie a little bit about why she was taking pictures at the uh, Timber Falls. Timber Falls? Timber Pines? Mm -hmm. Uh, Timber Falls. Timber Falls Motel. Uh, And she feeds him an edited story, because she's in cahoots again uh, with Ben Horn, uh, that she heard Catherine on the phone talking about burning down the mill. And Truman yeah. says, oh, I won't let that happen. We're going to fix this. Yeah. Well, and my, like, because I, I mentioned this as we were watching, but, like, my initial reaction was, like, God, she's such a bad liar. But then it occurred to me that she's intentionally acting like a bad liar, mm-hmm. um, which is, like, a really good move on her part, being in cahoots. I mean, she, with Ben Horn, like, she, her sort of inability to make up a, satisfying answer to Truman's question like sort of sets it up like oh well she can't possibly be lying she's a terrible liar Mm -hmm. no like I said all the scheming all the scheming it's coming together I really like it it feels so deliberate and I don't know it feels like realization time there's suddenly a veil lifted and you look back and you think about all the times where Josie was a sympathetic character previously when Coop and Truman were talking to her about other stuff and you wonder wait a minute wait wait a minute Wait a minute, was she not as just wholesome as she... Wait, wait a minute, was all that a story too, some of it? Hmm. But 
Hoop arrives in the main room of the Great Northern for gambling night. And I want to take a minute, talk fashion. Yes, let's. Because it's pretty important about... here. There's. They're dressed up. They're going to a nice, well, I guess, nice place. <laughs> They're going somewhere fancy. Mm-hmm. There we go. There we go. I forgot that. I mean, I guess it makes sense. Um, but, like, I forgot that it was just Coop and Ed that went in. For some reason, mm-hmm. I thought Harry went in, too. But I guess it makes sense that he wouldn't because, like, Jacques Renault would recognize him. Yeah, and uh, also he was dressed like shit, which is what I was going to say. Because <laughs> Coop has on a super spiffy tux and bow tie. He looks amazing, obviously. Uh, and he looks Ed, incredible. This is his best outfit, yeah, probably. Peak form. Uh, Ed's got on a red cowboy button down. I tried to look up what the name of that pattern was, but I had nothing to go off of. Um, it's like a western. It's like a western shirt. Uh, yeah, I, I wasn't sure if there's a specific like, you know, yeah, probably like, probably Americanized name for uh, something. But okay, uh, yeah, red cowboy button down, a black blazer, and a big old bolo tie. And you know what? Yeah, I like it. Ed cleans up the way Ed should clean up. I want to like just find ed and just tell him that he needs to move to laramie wyoming because he would do well here i mean he's not far from laramie right well i mean he's as far from laramie as as you are yeah no well i mean not him my secret bunker in uh the middle of the pacific i mean if you calculate the driving time is what i'm saying oh wait a minute no big ed's very close to Pickett's right next to me because we're broadcasting live from the Great Northern. But um, I'm just saying that, like, unless you meant like sort of spiritually, then yes, he's he's not spiritually far from Laramie, Wyoming. The latitude is or the longitude, which one? Latitude. Longitude. Longitude. Fuck. The longitude. He's longitudinally closer. No, sorry, latitude. Damn it! Now I look bad. <laughs> okay, so. Yeah, but Truman is not dressed up, so it's good that he does not go. I was worried for a minute. I was like, do you think that's an appropriate outfit compared to yeah. these two guys? But he, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. He's a cop. Doesn't go. Um, <laughs> Coop has $10,000 of the Bureau's money, and he mentions that he would like to make 10 to 15% back whenever he gambles with it. So I love that he's... Are you to... sure that he means that he's going to just, like, donate this money back to the Bureau? Because I really thought yes. that he... Okay. No, I this is not for personal gain. Keep it. No, the whole point is that the bureau is giving him the responsibility of gambling with ten thousand dollars. He likes to have it a goal in mind that he's not going to waste that. He's going to make money back for him. Yeah, uh, I mean that's a great much agent. more in that's much more in character for Coop. I just like the idea of him, like, yeah, wanting to wanting to make ten to fifteen percent back. Yeah, just yeah. sorry so guys, just can... broke just broke even. <laughs> Only only a dollar over. Yeah, sorry. No, didn't uh, didn't didn't do too well today. But hey, didn't lose you any money. Tucks. Uh, yeah, I mean, I tucks was gonna say, like, do they, like, Also, maybe he can write it off as taxes or something. Well, I have an additional question Probably. about this. The whole reason that Big Ed is there and they're doing this as the Bookhouse Boys is because it's in Canada. Oh yeah, I meant I meant to mention that. I forgot to put it on the notes, but I kept thinking, say that, say that. Yeah, they're doing it as the Bookhouse Boys, extrajudicially, I guess. But. So how do you get money from the FBI for that? Like, that? how are they allowed to give him money for this? Uh, it's in Canada. These are the kind of nitpicks that 
<laughs> make these episodes so long to edit. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Maybe. Well, okay. But think about it this way. They are like, they're like, it, they're part of Blue Rose, right? Which is, I guess you don't know that yet in the show, but it's a special division of the FBI with, it seems like a lot of its own discretion as to what it does. And if they're going to be investing money and fighting like extra dimensional weirdness, I feel like like Gordon Cole moves a couple numbers around or whatever. That's yeah, my official answer. God, you make me all think right. of so much backstory to fill in just random <laughs> gaps that the writers didn't care to think about. Jeez Louise. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, well, hopefully it makes for compelling radio. Truman tells Cooper. That, I've seen this show so many times. <laughs> yeah, fine, fine, fine. Truman tells Cooper that uh, Josie thinks both Ben Horn and Catherine are in cahoots and not only wanted to, want, not to, yeah, want to burn down the mill, but also want to off her as well. So I guess she's also kind of framing Ben mm-hmm. uh, while in cahoots with him. And it's uh, interesting. Uh, Coop presses for details about her specifically suspecting hmm, something's up but truman just like mm, i love her and crew says that's good enough for me immediately yeah it's common which i wondered if that was like i wondered if coop was oh just letting it go for now to let press it go for later. now yeah that was kind of my okay read on it because i like that good 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 yeah because he seems he maintains some suspicion of josie throughout okay the series so uh yeah the whole josie all the packard storyline stuff from season two is totally gone from my uh my memory so that'll be fresh for me audrey tries to call coop but he's not around he's a gambling knight Catherine talks to a lawyer about a life insurance policy on josie Uh, no no not on josie fuck it's so the reason that explain all this because i have in my notes that i don't know what the hell happens here except that everyone's very suspicious right so the reason that the guy comes, the like insurance agent comes to get Catherine's signature is that it's a life insurance policy on Catherine. Okay. So Josie and Ben took out, because he says that Mr. Horn offered to collect the signatures. So Josie and Ben took out a life insurance policy on Catherine, of which Josie is the beneficiary for whatever the big sum on there was, a million dollars, I think. Oh. And so they took, yeah, so like Josie took out a million dollar life insurance policy on Catherine. And that's why she's suspicious. And that's why she never signed it. So the guy is like, oh, hey, weird. Catherine, like Catherine Martell, the person that this is the insurance policy for, never signed it. I'm going to go get her signature because it goes into effect tomorrow or at midnight. And then, so then she realizes... Like, that Josie and Ben have taken out a life insurance policy on her. And that's why she says, I'm going to keep this and look it over and not sign it so it doesn't go into effect at midnight. Oh, that's so much cooler. Yeah, so this is when she realizes that Josie and Ben are in cahoots. Okay. Wow. Okay, wow. This is very cool. I I was totally lost on this. I just, I saw the Josie name. Whatever. Cool. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, it says, like, I think if you pause it there, it probably says, like, beneficiary is Josie Packard. Okay. Yeah. And that's why she freaks out and goes to check the ledger, and it's not there, and she realizes that Josie has taken it, because Ben told her, told Josie where it was. Yeah. Oof, I it's, missed the whole it's, This is Catherine's realization time. 
Dope. All right. Well, another point for that title that you have given it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, very cool. Okay, that's even better. I really like then how this is all pulling tighter and tighter. The the what the weave of the tapestry that is Twin Peaks. Sure. Yeah. Yikes. Bad. And I laughed because I saw that you saw your next point. Well, it's which is okay. That yeah, <laughs> you can say it. It's true. <laughs> that Coop and Ed put on wire. And Ed has a wig that's just his normal hair. Yeah, Coop tells him to put on. Oh, we got a curly wig that'll look just gangbusters on you, Ed. But he, like, he's like, oh, is it gonna fit? But I, like, it's the same hair. It's, exactly it's the his same normal hair, hair just like in a worse seventies haircut. Yeah. Oh my god. Because it's longer. It's a little bit longer in the back. They're, but yeah, it is just his hair. They look like they're shooting up heroin when they're putting on the wires too. Oh, this scene was hilarious. I love and I love the. the I mean, they. You don't see this right away, but I, I love the mustache, too, that Ed eventually ends oh. up with. Uh, yeah. As they're doing He's this... He's like a bad 70s cowboy. It's oh, fantastic. It's, yeah, it's a mess. As they're doing this, Waldo, in the conference room, suddenly speaks up and says, Laura, Laura. Pretty good Waldo right there, I'll just say. David Lynch, hire me next time. I need a minor bird voice actor. Uh, yeah, just before... Maybe you're, maybe you're the minor bird. I was the minor bird the whole time. Uh, just before Leo Johnson shoots... Waldo and sprays blood all over a display of donuts and everyone's startled they rush in they are there just constantly plates of donuts everywhere in this police station like I who think, is going to yeah. go eat these donuts i think that's the fiction i think that's that's good i love it it's constantly stocked with donuts <laughs> just like if in case you walk into any room and want a donut there will be one there probably stale because that plate of donut donuts has been in there for a while with a minor bird do you think that maybe there are, like, a lot of cops here? Because we do see some, but it's just that, like, they're not using those rooms. And, like, they're out on other cases. And there's actually I mean, a pretty big police force in Twin Peaks. Well, the other thing is this, like, probably the whole Twin Peaks police force is there. But we're just seeing, like, the sheriff. Yeah. The sheriff's department of it, right? So, like, that's a different thing. Sure. That's how police is Police's work. Police eye is the plural, I believe. Uh, Cooper winds the tape uh, on his dictaphone and finds a lot of Waldo quoting the girls' voices. I guess maybe just Ronette. Yeah. Protesting basically the sexual violence, and they name it names Leo at the very end. So. Yeah. Uh oh. Uh, but then they immediately cut to them arriving at One Eye Jacks, and yeah. this is like the one big directing mistake they make because there should have been a scene with Coop telling Truman you need to get like an APB out on Leo Johnson and Truman going out to find him and then them leaving to go to one Eye Jacks. So I don't know. This is a oop, real awkward. Oh, well, everything can't be perfect. Uh, yeah. Blackie greets them at kind of near the entrance and they're, they're cops. So she even says that Big Ed looks like a cop, and he does, and he fumbles his story immediately, and then doesn't even like try to recover. He just keeps talking and says the other story, which is that they're oral surgeons named yeah. Barney and Fred. Jesus. And then, and then Ed I do, says I do something like... horrible, and I forget what it is, and I'm not even gonna try and repeat it. But he does a pickup line, and it's the worst. Yeah. So. 
because um, he says that he owns a gas station, yeah. and then, like, Coop kind of gives him a look, and then he's like, I'm an oral surgeon. And then Blackie, I love this, she says, well, I have a, I don't know what she, what kind of car it is, but, like, you know, I have a... Chevy. A Chevy with a, a root canal problem. Um, yeah, that's good. That's hilarious. Yeah. I love that. And, and then... Yeah. Something about looking under it's, her hood that Ed says. Something about I looking under her hood. It. Yeah, it's, I do kind of like that Ed, like, I mean, he massively screws up his initial. <laughs> it's so bad. I do like that when he, like, afterwards, he does kind of get it together. Well, it's good and, that like, he lays it on thick, because then it seems like he's awkward, not because he's a cop, but just because he's, like, a rich dude who's never done this before. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and he does, like, get very, like, smooth and, like, pick-up line Yeah. And it's, like, kind of skeezy, but it's it's funny, and I think yeah. it's, like, because we know Ed's character, it's kind of charming. Yeah, exactly. Like, and it's true, he hasn't done this before, so he goes too far, and she thinks it's funny, so she, uh, she lets him through to I go. I mean, she's used to, used to sleazy dudes. Yeah, sleazy men. Only sleazy men, probably. Exclusively, yes. At some point, and I wasn't sure exactly when this fits in but audrey leaves a note under cooper's door yeah and they report to hawk that there's gambling so they go to gamble and they're like literally saying this like into their wrists and they're cops they're cops guys bouncers cameras they're cops get the cops out throw the cops out well and like i wonder narcs Narcs everywhere (laughs) well and like unbelievable honestly fire fire your security team holy well, I was thinking, too, that, like, if there was any indicate, like, yeah, the talking into the, like, Cooper just, like, talking into his wrist is just the biggest giveaway. Because, like, they could be cops. Like, if they're, like, terrible, like, corrupt American cops who want to, like, come over the border to where it's not their jurisdiction and, like, gamble and sleep with prostitutes, like, I'm sure that happens. Right? Like, that's a that's a reasonable excuse for why Blackie might be, all right, like, all right, these are cops, but, like, not... They're not Canadian cops, so, like, I don't care. But, like, yeah, he's... Coop just talks into his wrist in plain sight. No, it's my Apple Watch. Don't worry. Just setting, <laughs> just setting a timer for when I gotta be back home. Uh, God. Yeah. Yeah. But Maddie uh, sneaks out of the Palmer house with a bag of what I assume was Chipotle. Uh, possibly supplies, but I'm going with Chipotle. While Leland very creepily sits in shadow on the couch, like sort of in the I, drawing room, the main room area, and watches her kind of really go. I really like, yeah, I really like that scene. It's actually. really, really good. Uh, again, if you imagine that it is Chipotle in the bag, it becomes a hilarious commercial for <laughs> Chipotle or whatever you want to imagine in the bag, where Leland's just like, "Oh, you're sne- you're not even gonna leave me some." Which Chipotle I mean, again is basically like that is basically what the. Dr. Pepper used that as a strategy in which they, like, their whole thing for their commercial was just, like, just put Ray Wise in it and have him be creepy, because... You'd be surprised how many... Dr. Pepper is so good. Uh, how many animated cartoons also do that? Like, the uh, Killing Joke movie, where they just said, let's put Ray Wise in it and have him be creepy. <laughs> Didn't work. But yeah, it was re- this is a really cool scene, and it's uh, in the same vein as the scene where... Uh, they're listening to Laura's tapes. It's that dark, shadowy, slow, deliberate panning. Very cool. Uh, really, mm-hmm. really good. Maddie 
arrives at the gazebo dressed as Laura in a wig. And it's uh, James and Donna arrive at the same time. And it's like a very moving moment for them. It's not. Yeah. Well, and it's, I like it too, because like Donna seem like, it looks like Donna drove Maddie there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which I thought Donna didn't have a car. I thought that's why she had the Steelers sister's bike, but whatever. And so I don't know. It's, I like the contrast here between like Donna probably had a reaction when Maddie put on the wig, but we don't see it. And she seems like she's kind of used, like she seems kind of used to it. And it seems like Donna is mostly reacting to James's reaction, which kind of nicely sets up. Oh, you're right. Ah. Donna, James, Maddie tension that happens later. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right? glad you like, have mental notes you feel about? to subs- like um, supplement my written ones because I mean I miss how, so much stuff. Like, how would you feel if you were Donna and you're like watching your boyfriend like basically be confronted with his like the image of his dead secret girlfriend? Um, that's weird. That's a weird. That's gotta be. A... That's definitely weird. <laughs> that, that, okay, that's way cooler because at first I sort of I didn't realize that Donna had already seen her although she does sort of walk up after james has been focusing on maddie so that makes sense but that added layer of her watching james watch maddie very very cool but yeah and it's sort of it's a literal now a a more literal i guess doppelganger of laura quite literally her Mm -hmm. spitting image yeah jerry and ben sort of escort these still partying icelanders out of the office and ben presses jerry about when they're going to sign for the Ghostwood Estates contract. Ben is stress-eating ice cream, which is hilarious. <laughs> Jerry tries to get a little bit. Um, It'd be funnier if it was Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Maybe two on the nose. Uh, <laughs> yeah, probably. But Jerry lets slip that he told him about One-Eyed Jacks, and that's where they want the signing party. So Ben which tells him to weird... get on the bus. <laughs> yeah, but Ben seems annoyed a... by this. He seems angry that Jerry slips build a secret. Right. Yeah, because I think, like, it seems like Ben is very, very much separates, like, his, like, businessman scheming from his, like, you know, skeezy brothel frequenting. Mm-hmm. Um, and whereas Jerry's just like, sign the contract at the brothel, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> so. I, I think something about him stress eating the ice cream is <laughs> amazing. I love that. He's such, a, he's such a funny character. Again, he's, like, he's super sleazy, but... He's a stressed, put-upon businessman. He's like Krennic from Rogue One. Have I already made that comparison? Like he's a, it's like, no, he's a, I he's a skeezy just... douchebag, but like he's got stuff to do and like things, goals to meet, and people are not doing things his way. Yeah. It stresses him out. I love it. I, I compared him to Scar from The Lion King, but then I cut it out. Oh, okay. Uh, a couple episodes ago, so. So he calls Josie, who says everything's set for burning the mill, and she is flanked by hank jennings so that yeah, previous scene where hank was calling her being threatening turns out he wasn't he being wasn't threatening threatening to her he was just you know yeah it was they they were they have been in coots yeah so as well again oof oof just pew pew one after the other things <laughs> going off audrey auditions basically for blackie but it's pretty bad this is the moment where all her lying and her bluffing sort of don't pay off. Blackie sees right through it and calls her on her fake name and credentials. Hester she's Prynne. Hester Prynne. Awful, awful. Jesus, Audrey. Come on. Come on. Like, just, yeah. Yeah. Um. And I've, I've actually, I've seen, 
I've I've seen some kind of I guess commentary on this that like that have like that has made comparisons to like between Audrey and Blackie, and so like this is the the moment where Audrey kind of like finally meets her match. I guess because Blackie right, plays Audrey the same way that Audrey's been playing everyone else, where right. you know she brings up like you know oh is so and so still at this place and. Um, Audrey kind of walks right into it the same way everyone has been walking right into Audrey's bluffing. Yeah, but this so. time, yeah, Blackie sort of calls her. I mean, it's not, I don't know, it's it's cool. It's a cool reversal. Like, yeah, it doesn't work. Uh, yeah, I really like this scene. But she just impromptu decides to tie a cherry stem from Blackie's cocktail with her mouth. And that's good enough for Blackie. She immediately gives her a contract, right? Yeah. I can't Is believe that... there's contracts at this place. I mean,. It might, I mean, this may have been legal. That might be why it's in Canada. What are the, what were the Canadian prostitution laws in 1990? This is something we should Oh my God, you're right. (laughs) Like this, I mean, it might have just been like Vegas. See, now, like, now my, I'm torn. I'm thinking like, this is, this is true. Like, perhaps we've just been totally mistaken that like gambling and prostitution is legal in the Canadian border and that's why they're so... But then the other half of me is like, no, no, no. I can't spring into that trap. I can't, I can't just assume this is the case. We're going to leave that one a mystery. We'll find, we'll figure it out by episode... I mean, it's probably not legal for Ben Horn to own it still. But, because he's not a Canadian. True. I don't know. But, this yeah, is, now, I don't this, know. This is a lot of property laws and, and penal codes i gotta look up here uh but yeah no i guess uh, i guess tying a cherry stem with your mouth is all you, like all the qualifications you need sure i don't know if it's really a transferable skill honestly but sure i mean i've heard that but like i didn't think that was i didn't think that like somebody who you know runs an actual brothel would find that a an indication of you know sexual ability i assume that just you know like high school kids at lunch tables thought that they were correlated yeah this would be much funnier if wacky was like well that's good but now do it with your vagina (laughs) (laughs) those are the real pros (laughs) okay i'm so sorry coop is doing well at blackjack and uh, sort of tells Ed to join in, but Ed's it's like, no, I'm not good at blackjack. And Coop's like, nah, you're good at blackjack. You can count, right? And Ed's like, yeah. And Coop's like, yeah, you can do it. And then Ed's like, no, and walks off, <laughs> which, like, good good on you, Ed, not wasting the Bureau's money. Um, yeah, he's already lost a fair amount of it, yeah. so. <laughs> and look who shows up to deal, but Jacques, we, this is the last, this is the end of the, uh, what we see of Cooper and Ed at the at the casino for the rest of the episode it's Jacques showing up to deal right yeah yeah uh another quick invitation to listen but jacoby is watching something going on with jade uh she's yeah. sipping a cocktail and he's sipping a super tropical cocktail i love his style man you gotta love a man that actually goes out of his way to like cut pineapple slices for just a random cocktail on like a thursday night or whatever <laughs> No, I mean, he's holding himself to a standard. If he's going to drink, it's going to be, you know, a thing. It's not just going to be something casual. He's not going to let himself slip into these those kind of habits. Um, Maddie calls Jacoby from a payphone in a, in a park with 
James and Donna and tells him to go pick up a VHS tape, a video that's sitting outside because Jacoby obviously is initially unconvinced, but in the VHS tape. Yeah, and Maddie is pretending to be Laura. Yeah, Ma- sorry. Uh, yes, clear. whoops. Maddie is doing Laura. He's, oh, hey, Doc. She's caught. She's so they're not. They don't play the tapes back. But what she copies, she repeats back some of what was said on the tapes, right? Yeah. 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 I guess as a way to kind of legitimate herself, and then also I assume that she was like practicing from the tapes to. Yeah. Exactly. Laura's voice. Um, and on on this video is her holding up the newspaper with that day's date to confirm that it is her. Uh, she's still on the phone. Jacoby's like, all right, well, what the fuck? And she tells him to meet her at Sparkwood and 21 in 10 minutes. Yeah. They break, sort of, uh, and Bobby spies them at the phone booth. Jacoby mm-hmm. sees the gazebo in the corner of the video and takes off. Uh, just as yeah. James and Donna are lurking around to sneak into his place. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. Like, I don't understand why Maddie just, like, stayed at the gazebo dressed as Laura after they filmed that video. I guess it was like, so that... that make any sense. I guess, no, I guess it was so that she wouldn't have to confront him because I don't think... Sparkwood in 21 would just... No one would be there. It's just a Yeah, no, choice. but I... Yeah, no, I know, but I'm just like, I'm, oh, okay. why didn't why didn't she just go home? Good question. I don't know, because then we wouldn't have an episode seven slash eight. Um, Bobby. yeah, because clearly there's nothing else that could have been wrapped up in that episode. You know, let's let's see how they work their magic. Bobby followed them is the problem. Uh, yes, for James and Donna because he stashes like a a ton like a, a, so much cocaine in bobby's motorcycle or james's motorcycle James's, yeah like in the gas tank like an i would say stupid amount of cocaine like bobby <laughs> is i know he's gonna deal with leo and stuff but eventually down the line he will still be in a lot of cocaine debt to someone and he could have incriminated james with way less cocaine like way way less cocaine but hey i guess if you're gonna go go big <laughs> and then yeah i don't know yeah. i don't and i don't understand why like i guess he's still just still mad at james for the fact that james was sleeping with laura like is he that pissed about it yeah still i mean all right i don't know get over it bobby you know it's a it's a trying time for the man all right i and I will yeah, say, but you'd think he'd want to like take just like let this be one less thing off on your plate. Bobby. I, just yeah. don't worry about James. I would say, yeah, definitely <laughs> wait on the James issue until you've taken care of like the murderous psychopath one. Uh, yeah, you can stash put cocaine the, anytime. Put the cocaine in Leo's somewhere, something. I don't know. Yeah, put the cocaine in Leo's right? somewhere, has... something. Good advice. <laughs> yeah. Leo has both a, like, right? He has both the red Corvette and the truck, right? Like, he can't be driving both of them. One of them's still got to be at Shelly's house. So much, so much room to stash cocaine. There's so many places to put the cocaine, Bobby. For as much as this You're show, out there literally every day. Stick true. some cocaine in the gas tank. Sprinkle some on the, the doormat. Like, just go wild with it. Paint the town cocaine. Uh. <laughs> 
for as much cocaine as is featured in this show, there is a disappointing, I'll say, lack of cocaine doing in this show. You never yeah. get Mike and Bobby, Mike and yeah, Mike and Bobby, Snake Mike and Bobby. Sorry, uh, just like yeah, railing lines of powder and like going nuts. Anybody actually do cocaine? We see Coop taste the cocaine no. off the key, doesn't he? No, um, this is still the first episode of Mr. Fisher's Murder Mysteries. You did this last I time. I did this as well. last time. I knew it as soon as I said that. Oh, oh, yeah. I was so close to the end too. It's depressing. Well, so here we are. Uh, the final shot is a sort of unsettling, very voyeuristically framed shot of Maddie by the gazebo before a sudden fade to black, and end credits. And that's the end of the episode. It's an abrupt ending. But it feels like yeah. sort of the like the first half of a two part finale almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I, I mentioned this last time, but I do remember watching these episodes like back to back, which was why I was surprised mm. this time when we got to the end because I was like, oh, I don't remember this because like when I originally binged it on Netflix, it was just like play next episode, play next episode. Yeah. So yeah. Couple things. I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but. The fact that they're 40-minute episodes is very nice. Mm-hmm. I think I've said this, but again, it just... Sometimes I, it, it really does leave me wanting more. There's something, I think, today about the 52 to 55-minute like premium TV episode that is inherently not bingeable, even though more and more things are presented in that format. Whereas the 40-minute episode, I finish this, and I want to watch the next one. I'm not tired out. I don't feel like I've watched... A small movie i feel like i've watched a part of this show and i want the next bit um the other yeah, thing yeah. i will say is that i really really like this episode and this episode kind of made me realize with now most of the first season behind us ooh, voice crack that the return had sort of warped my perception of what the show was but yeah. this and not necessarily in a bad way it was it was the logical progression of what it was and it's the finale so um but even though i watched this most recently directly before the return i came into it yeah like i've said the whole time kind of blind on what was going on and expecting something different and this was i just i love this episode this felt so fun to be really yeah this is a great episode so far along and it really feels like yeah there's not a lot of surreal stuff going on but the threads i've said threads 50 bajillion times i'm putting a Quarter in the yeah, thread, jar. New, thread jar. Thread jar. Uh, but yeah. It, that it, was the least convincing coin sound effect. What did you drop? I dropped a coin on top of a salt shaker. Uh, not great. It sounded like wood, like a pencil on a desk. Oh, it was like, it's the. Whatever. <laughs> Hang on. Fine. There. I just threw it at the lava lamp. Uh,. But no, the, the oh, this felt so tight. It felt, it felt. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. It's, the thing too. I'm that gonna like, stop talking. Well, and I think part of the reason that like, we again, put another quarter in your jar. The reason that season two feels so bad with all of its like subplots is that it's not that because I I feel the same way. I think I was kind of distorted by season or by the return. Um, it's not that there aren't all of these subplots in, like, you know, 
these weird convoluted subplots in season one. It's that they're done really well. Mm-hmm. And so, like, yeah, that's the that's the really good thing about season one is that there are all these, like, scheming, soapy subplots. And they're handled really well and they're balanced really well and they're really, like, well-written and kind of tightly constructed. And it's just really good. Yeah. I mean, the return being is, very plot. This is good television. Yeah. That's our is, hot take. Oof, hot take. Who would have thought? One of the most celebrated series of all time. But no, I think the returns are a plot-driven, imagistic-driven, uh, and sort of mm-hmm. lack of character or intentional distortion of characters from the original show makes it a little hard to go back and watch with a fresh mind. But I do actually think that the quality of the writing and the way that, yeah, in just like eight episodes, it does tell kind of a contained one-season arc um, gives you really interesting ways to use these character relationships they're showing and these interlocking subplots to apply readings to the return that don't necessarily just present themselves with the return's sort of sometimes overbearing yeah. surrealness and otherworldliness. Uh, yeah. But yeah. I definitely have thoughts about the kind of, I guess, underlying guiding like mm-hmm. aesthetic principles of the return yeah. that i'll talk about when yeah. we get there no, i think i think watching this is helping me to sort of reshape my, my my viewings of the return which is also really nice as well as just being able to get this show and remember what it is fresh and new and i loved this episode this felt just as like it felt totally on point and exactly what this show should be i didn't feel like it was dragging it feels like it's building there's mysteries but it still gives compelling sensible dark funny drama throughout as is peak peak peaks yeah 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 i mean i don't really have any like other wrap-up closing thoughts on it other than that i think you're right um and yeah this is these episodes like the end of yeah end of season one beginning of season two is yeah just like these episodes are also good yeah so i feel like i've been i've been kind of hard on the show intentionally so because i don't want to just like give everything a pass it's not fun to just geek out um but it is well it is fun to geek out when there's a good when there's a good reason to and this was like just a super fun episode for me where i was excited to come do the podcast it wasn't like oh how am i gonna fill this time i'm just going to go through these notes I'm sorry you're not normally excited to do this podcast. That's not what I meant, no, but just, you know, I'm just saying, not every time I got to go through, you know, like whatever Jacques Renault is doing, am I filled with joy, but this was, uh, every single scene was bing, bang, boom, stuff's going on, and it all stemmed directly from what came before, and I read the production notes, so this was written sequentially, um, and that shows, some TV shows certainly are not, and just as The Return yeah. was kind of written as an 18-hour movie, stems back to its roots. This show was written episode by episode, building on the story. And this really, really feels good. It feels like a triumphant, not return to form, but just, like, example of the show. Yep. Sorry, I've been, like, ranting, but there we go. No, I mean, I agree. I think, yeah, I don't, like I said, I don't have a ton to add. Um, you know, and I kind of have been, like, nitpicking at the, like, little, like, oh, why is the, you know, how did... How did Audrey get there? And, like, wouldn't you think that... But, I mean, that's not stuff that, like, enters my head as I'm watching it, right? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't break my 
And it's fine too because uh, usually I'm nitpicking, so to switch some rules. Uh, I'm excited. Next week is the finale. Next yeah. two weeks, two weeks yeah. eventually. Finale, it's coming. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, we've been. Uh, it's been a year and a half since we released an episode, um, but you know, fun fact: if you are in grad school and then don't sleep because you have 17 deadlines on the same day, then also, in addition to just being stressed all the time, your body will just kind of shut down. <laughs> so if I've sounded kind of like, you know, uh, not not great during this episode, that is why. Well, so. there's, a, uh, there's a motorcycle filled with cocaine that I can point you towards. <laughs> But uh, join us next time. We will be talking about the climactic, fiery end of Twin Peaks Season 1. Yeah. Follow us on Twitter at Northern Live Pod. I'll post that Kim Kardashian meme. And email us with your favorite VHS tapes you've received in the mail. Also, whether DNA testing existed in the 90s, because apparently I'm not allowed to Google it. And Canadian gambling and prostitution laws. As well as, I guess... You should also just, like, tweet all of that Yeah, foreign national property ownership laws. All right. (laughs) As the French French would say, adios.